spring and summer of birds so far by me. I don't know why I love birds so much, but I love birds this year more than any other year. Maybe it's because I kept my feeders out a little bit longer. The robins, the red-winged blackbirds. I made peace with the red-winged blackbirds. As a young kid, have I told you this story ever? So as a young kid, Bill Sportsman serves like in Minnesota. I'm like, I see a tree bird up on a high-line wire, and I pull back my little like wrist rocket slingshot. Like, no way I'm going to hit it, right? I'm a kid. Knocked it right off the highline wire. It tight circle falls to the air, dead. I walk over to it and I start crying. I'm like, I've killed this beautiful bird. So my whole life, I've been trying to make restitution to red-winged blackbirds. I feel like I've done it this year. I've gotten there, okay? Grackles, I even like the grackles. I know some people don't like grackles. They eat so much, but I love the grackles. The Oreos, okay, I got my, my grape jelly out, a few hummingbirds. Had a hard time bringing the hummingbirds in. I don't know what the deal is going on. A woodpecker-looking thing with a red spot on the back of its noggin. Barn swallows, right? Herons, they are cold-blooded killers. I mean, they are like assassins, okay? Loons, um, also cold-blooded killers, all right? Eagles, okay? Nation's independence this weekend, but if Ben Franklin wouldn't have had his day, we would be having eagle for Thanksgiving. You know that, right? The turkey missed out by one vote. One vote goes the other way, and the turkeys are a national symbol, and you would be eating a scavenger for Thanksgiving. Osprey. Ah, earlier, a couple kingfishers. I love to watch kingfishers. They're just so cool. They're just like, bam, right in the water. Just pop right up. Haven't observed them lately. Canadian, Canadian geese are a little gosling. Yesterday, yesterday, right down the middle of the lake, there's a swan pair with their little, what are they called? The little baby swans? Signets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just steaming right down the middle of the lake. It's like a swan's like, what are you going to do to me? This is my lake. Get away from me. But ducks especially baby ducks, cute little baby ducks, cute little baby wood ducks. They have to be my favorite. Two ducks, which makes a pair. Love the little baby ducks. Verse 12, brothers and sisters, okay, brothers and sisters, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Again, Paul's making the argument, attempting to get them to a point where they're like, realize where they were at, where they've gone to, and where they need to come back from. Paul's like, please listen. Listen. I have your best interests in mind. P please. I'm not jacking with you. I'm not messing with you. And then he says this incredibly bold thing to say. Become as I am. Dang. Can we say this? And if not, why not? Can we say this? And if immediately you're like, yeah, I can say that, yeah, probably you shouldn't be saying that. If there isn't just a little bit of pause, a little bit of reservation, a little bit of thought that goes into Paul's statement, because as I am, become as I am, I mean, can I say that? Can we say that? Do we live our lives in such a way that we could tell another person, 
yeah, if, if you're wondering how to do life and you kind of look at how I do my life, it's probably going to, and if it starts with Christ and if it starts with forgiveness and it continues with grace and it continues with mercy, continues with compassion, if we're living lives that look like that, if we're shredding the arrogance, the self-conceit, it's a challenge, right? Paul, Paul lays down a challenge, not only for his own life, for us, because become as I am. What a bold thing to say, if we can say that. And if not, why not? I have become as you are. That's an interesting one, right? Well, what does that mean? Whoa, what does that even mean? I've become as you are? A little bit, right? Okay, Paul's like, okay, what you're trying to do now, okay, to the Galatian people, the churches in Galatia, the region, okay, it's not to a single church, it's to, to a region, a group of people. Paul's like, I've been where you've been. I've tried to live my life under the law. You were introduced to Jesus Christ. Now you're trying to live your life under the law. I've been where you've been. It doesn't work. It doesn't get you to where you want to go. You don't want to try to tangle with that, right? It's, it's just not going to be successful. I've become as you are. What you're dabbling with won't bring about a life that is worth living. Please. It doesn't get you to where you want to go. Please. I've become you can also mean, and probably Paul means both things. I've been there. I can tell by personal experience it's not successful. But it's also the element of, no, I've, I've crawled around in your pelt for a few days. A Carl Spackler moment, so to speak. We've done life together. We've done life together. He's telling his friends, we've done this thing called life. We've walked miles together. Why would you take this diversion away from Jesus Christ? Why would you walk away from Jesus? And I think we can resonate with Paul, right? I mean, think about, we've been here almost 20 years. Think of it. We've done babies and baptisms. We've done buildings and deaths. We've done hard times. We've done good times. We've talked about faith. We've lived life. But more than that, we have watched how God changes lives in our midst. People experiencing forgiveness and redemption. What God is doing here is special. I think we can resonate with what Paul says. We've done life together. And God is at work in our midst. Paul's like, I'm not some internet troll who's telling you what to think with half-truths. It's Paul, it's me. We're in this together. We've done life. Why would we walk away from Christ? Why wouldn't we double down on Christ? I think we can, we can understand 
we can understand what Paul is attempting to convince his friends in the region of Galatia that walking away from Christ, having any sort of divided loyalties, doesn't work. It won't be successful. We know each other. Verse 13, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. First off, we don't know. Any of you Bible scholars out there that are like, oh, his bodily ailment was this, you don't know. You don't know. Books have been written about it. You don't know. We don't know. We don't know what the ailment was, but it was profound enough that you would notice. And even in the face of that, and we'll get to that in point number three, angelic disability, it's not what Paul looks like. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's identity with Christ. It's forgiveness of sins. It's a, a Savior, a Lord relationship. It's the gospel and the difference that it makes. The first time they heard it from Paul, they were able to look past his physical ailment, his disability, and see something profound. This freedom, right? This freedom that, that Eric elucidated last week, the offer that was unique, that it's not dependent on human effort. It's taking a gift from God, believing that God really wants to walk with us and be in relationship with us, and that's made possible by his son, Jesus Christ. In essence, Paul is saying the message was greater than the messenger. The message is always greater than the messenger. You know something or someone may not be worth following when the messenger claims greatness. When a human being tells you how great they are, hold on to your wallet and your small children. <laughs> Text moves on, verse 13. You know it was because of a bodily ailment. Don't know what it was. We have no idea that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. First off, we don't know. We don't know what the ailment was. We don't know what the disability was. But Paul says it was profound enough that you'd notice. And how his friends responded to him, even when they weren't his friends, was unique. In the first century, it might have been like, wow, what happened to you? I mean, seriously. I mean, God not happy with you? What, what did you do to make the gods mad at you? I mean, you look like you're really messed up. You don't act the right way. You walk funny. You can't see so well. You can't hear so well. You can't lift up heavy things, you can't. Paul's like, how you responded to me. We struggle with this still, right? We struggle with this. How often we have a strong response to people who are different than us.
Are we able to get to the spot of seeing disabilities or different abilities as angelic rather than seen with condescension or pity? Paul's got this thing going on that's pretty obvious there's something wrong with him. And rather than being told he's not welcome at all, he's elevated to this place of honor, like, like as if he was Christ Jesus, as if he was an angel. It's a strong statement. You might argue it's a lesser point in the text, but, but you'd be arguing with Paul and not with me, because he wrote it. I mean, it's one of the things that I think we can be proud about, right? We have friends that just came back from a Johnny and Friends retreat, where folks who have unique abilities get to spend a week taking a break from those unique abilities and being cared for and loved on. It's, it's one of the reasons why at Timberwood Church we have accessibility, where, where if you have a child who might be on the spectrum, or they were like, no, you're welcome here. That if you're in a wheelchair, it's no big deal. That if we need to make some sort of quote-unquote special accommodation, it's not a special accommodation because we believe the body of Christ in its totality has folks who are all sorts of shapes and sizes and abilities. And, and it's right there. It's right there. Verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes. This is why some people think it's an eye ailment. First off, we don't know. We don't know. We just don't know. Well, what do you think it was? I don't know. I have no idea. You would have gouged out your eyes, which is a pretty strong statement, and given them to me, even if it would work, it doesn't work. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? In essence, Paul is saying, so because of all of that, right? Because of all of these things, okay? What we got right now is we got two ducks swimming, you're like, that doesn't make any sense at all. You know where I'm going, right? Because of all of that, we've got two ducks that are swimming. Some of you are with me. Anyone? Two ducks swimming? A paradox? Come on, that's a great joke. You don't have to ground on at that one. That was phenomenal. I know it's a total dad joke, okay? I get it, but I'm a dad, and so it's legal. Not Father's Day. We just did that a couple weeks ago. So given all that, we got two ducks, a pair of ducks, a paradox. We have this paradox, right? Webster defines a person, a paradox, as a person having contradictory qualities 
about themselves or a statement that has contradictory qualities about itself. So, uh, 3rd century B.C. China, <clears throat> this guy is uh, into selling armor, found it on paradoxes.com or something like this. Anyway, so someone comes up to him and says, I'm looking for the best shield that's made. And he's like, this is the best shield that's made. No, no spear will ever pierce it. You know this paradox, right? They're like, okay, now I'm looking for a spear. The armor said, hey, I got a spear that I'm selling, okay? This is the best spear that was ever made. No shield can defend against it. <laughs> the customer says, well, what happens if your shield is hit by your spear? A paradox, right? Contradictory qualities. A paradox. Paul's saying, this history that we share, the miles that we've traveled, the good, the bad, encountering my disability and encountering it with grace, not pity, encountering it with compassion, not condescension, the way that we've done life together, how we have extolled the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he offers to us and forgiveness and peace and mercy and all of the things that we would say is in this delightful thing of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You viewed me this way. You viewed the message of Jesus Christ in this way. What happened? What happened? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? strong relationship, dear friend, and all of a sudden everything goes every sort of sideways. What just happened? Sometimes it's not good friendships, right? Sometimes we're around people that are bad for us and we shouldn't have been around them and we need to get away from them. Okay, yep, right, 100% agree. Not talking about that. Not talking about toxic relationships. I'm not talking about abusive relationships. Have you ever been there? Where all of a sudden you're talking with a friend and they just look at you like, but what? And you're just scratching your head going, what happened? What just went down? I thought we were friends and now, well, Paul says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? That question with the wrong tone could be a horrible question. My hope, but I can't hear Paul's voice, is that the tone was curious. It, it was passionate, it was engaged, but it was curious. It was really seeking to understand. It wasn't seeking to condescend. What happened? Remember? 
the miles, the times, the experiences. What, what happened? I, th- I thought you, we were friends, and, and now you treat me like an enemy. What happened? What went down? I love the curiosity, even though it's hard. Asking a question is more difficult than making a statement. In a very real way, even for us, those of us, many of us, who are passionate followers of Jesus Christ, we can encounter this same question that if we're listening carefully enough comes from the Spirit itself. What's going on? Come back. Come back. Playing over here in the weird country doesn't work. Playing with sin isn't going to be successful. Playing with measures of success that's defined by the world will never be successful. Come back. Embrace what is offered to us through Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And it just feels really good to be here. To sing songs of faith. To be challenged by your word. And maybe we've been playing in an area where we shouldn't be playing. Maybe we need to come back. Maybe the small little things that we thought weren't that important really have taken control in ways that aren't helpful. Allow your spirit, O God, to move in our midst, reminding us, like Paul reminds us, of the years and the miles and the times that we've traveled, of the good times, of the bad times, of the babies, of the baptisms, of the deaths, that reminds us of all of that and invites us again today to walk with you and your Son and your Spirit. Thank you for this time, O great God. In Jesus' name. Well, please stand.